show them who Jesus is. Welcome to a series that I'm just going to flat out say I'm taking the filters off, okay? Um, if you need politically correct sermons, if you, if you need to be a part of church, and I'm even talking to those online right now, if, you, if you're like, I, I, I want to hear something that just really doesn't get too far into my life, you chose a bad time to be in church. I, with all my heart, I love you. But I want to get into your life because I think deep down you want that. You, you don't want to be a person, if you call yourself a Christian, that that is counterfeit, that that is mundane, that, it's, that, it's, that it doesn't feel real. So if you have anything in you that are like, you know, I want this to be legit, then tune in. So I want to start with a story. I'm going to read to you parts of it. And I'll fill in what, well, some of the words don't actually say. And this story, if you'll grab a hold of it, in fact, some of you will never have heard this story that I'm going to share with you. I have preached on it before, but I want, you to, I want you to grab this story, and this story could actually be like a story that someday that you land on, some would say anchored down to. It's an incredible, true story found in the Bible, and it's helpful. If you go to the Old Testament, it says this. Saul's son, Jonathan. Stop. Now, I'm not going to do this with every verse for those of you like, if you stop there, this sermon's going to be forever. So don't, no, don't. Here. Saul's a king. That's what you need to know. Saul's a king. If you've never read the Bible, you're like, Saul, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. You might think he's a lawyer on TV. I don't know. But Saul, Saul no, Saul's a king. Saul, and obviously, obviously, Jonathan is a son. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth. Who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. So just don't read the Bible too fast and be like, I don't care. I don't know. I just let. No, you got, you got his dad and his grandpa, the leaders who are now dead. When, when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. This, this is, uh, in essence, the, the core of the story I'm going to share with you. Perhaps you've never heard of it, but maybe you have. Mephibosheth, not a regular name that we just say over and over and over again. I doubt you named your kid Mephibosheth, but this name 
has everything, listen, everything to do with your life. Mephibosheth, here's what we know historically, but what the Bible says, but even beyond that, we know that when, when the king is, is killed in battle, that means he lost the battle, they lost the battle, which means the whole royal family is in jeopardy. I mean, as in the whole royal family is probably, most likely, stereotypically, all going to get literally wiped out. I I know some of us, we don't like to watch movies like this, but if you know where the movies pick it up, probably from moments it truly happened like this. When the king and his crew are killed, literally everyone in the palace is like, run. And I'm not joking, run. Well, as you see, this five-year-old kid is picked up and they run what we know is other other because it's talking about royal family the history books say that his legs were likely broken they were likely then later on reset and were not reset correctly and he would have grown up crippled unable to do a lot of what you and I might call everyday things that part of the story is a big deal Uh, Most people would say, and this is what we find out, is that Mephibosheth basically wanders off, goes off into nothingness. People quite figure that they don't even know who he is. They forget about him. He He goes from the palace, you got me? The palace into nothing. Sounds like a good Disney movie, but it's true. Then this happens. One day, David, again, I will stop for a second. He's the new king. He's the guy in charge, not a member of the old family. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. If you don't know the story of David and Jonathan, you ought to to read the Bible on it. Best friends, BFFs. They made a covenant with each other that promised that they would take care of each other for the rest of their lives, actually. And in fact, inside of the covenant that they made, Jonathan even specified and said, hey, if I don't live very long, baby, would you even take care of my family when I'm gone? And now you have David at some point, some point going, hey, is anyone left? Is anyone left in his family? Now, some would have been skeptical going, oh, we know what you want to do. You're going to try to kill the last remnant so no one revolts against you. But that's why he says, no, this is kindness. I'm going to do this. So he asks a, a trusted advisor, Siva, replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. But watch how he details this. Some of us, we call this like the least politically correct thing you could ever say in a public forum. Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's, a, he's crippled in both feet. I'm not trying to be crass here, but you need to know why he said that. He's telling the king, king, yeah, 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 there's one more, but um, he's not really a threat to you. He's nothing. In that culture, if you had any kind of handicap whatsoever, I, I, they, would, they would throw you away. They would ostracize you. you, you learned, to them, you had no more value, and it just was, it was done. And so that's why he says to the king, yeah, yeah, there's like one, but. Uh, well, the king uh, pries a little bit. Uh, he, he says, well, where is he? In, in Lodabar, Siva told him, at the home of Makir, son of if you watch Star Wars, you think, is that, in, is that in Star Wars? No. The only reason I'm sharing this with you, because you're like, well, who cares about these names of cities and places and, 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 and people? I don't know. I don't know. What's the big deal? What you need to see 
is the guy's going to go, oh, well, there's one remaining, and, um, and he's crippled, and, and he's living with a, another, another family. Let me help you understand culturally what he's saying. Yeah, there's one more, but he can't support himself. He's got to live with other people. He, he's not able to, to like, grow his own crops. He's not able to lead his own household. He's, he's actually 100%, 100% dependent on other people. King David, he's not even... It's not even worth your time, man. He's, he's crippled. He's, he's hopeless. I mean, think about it. If you, if, you were, if you were probably born in the palace, probably he was born in the palace, and, and years pass by, and now he finds himself not in a palace, but living in obscurity, completely forgotten, where the king has to say, hey, is anyone left? He has no idea. Living with some family, eating off their table, Sleeping in a bed that he didn't build or pay for. Living in a place that he can't function by himself. Hopeless. That's what I want you to see. That Mephibosheth, born in the palace, now finds himself utterly, utterly hopeless. Probably had given up on all dreams. What I hope you'll do is identify with Mephibosheth. I hope you'll find yourself... Uh, where, where you're willing to be honest enough that you yourself have had moments where your dreams, you don't even dream them anymore. For, is, even if this is just like a, a one, one bad night kind of thought process. But, but most of us have landed where we're like, you know what, I, I give up. Like what I wanted, what I thought was best and good and I could do, I'm done with it. Mephibosheth was there. Well, the king, once he finds out where this guy is, is like, get him. And so they do get Mephibosheth and bring him into the palace in front of the king. Mephibosheth probably thought, my life is over. It's probably what he thought. Hence the words of David, don't be afraid. <laughs> Exclamation point. Like, please stop crying. Okay, I'm adding in to be like, like hey, set, settle down. Settle down. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to cut your head off. I could, but I'm not going to. Don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. That's why I told you that earlier. He is saying, I don't know you from anybody, but I know your dad, and I made a covenant. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. I mean, that's good news. I mean, he says that. He says that straight to Mephibosheth. I mean, he's like, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I have like outstanding news for you. This is going to be absolutely awesome. You're going to go from where you've been to a good place. And, and I don't know how you'd receive the news, but it's worth looking at um, how he received it. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me. You want to know where he was at emotionally at this point? I mean, where, where, what did he think of himself? Like, he'd, he'd born in the palace. You'd be like, hey, man, like you were born in the palace. Like, it's a big deal. Nah. Do you see what he thought of himself now? Worthless. Dead dog. Again, I think many of us have been there. Where we ourselves have felt like either decisions that we personally made things that we were just born into, we felt like, you know what? I'm not 
not near as, as worthwhile as I hoped I would be. And there's been a moment in your life where you've craved and wanted hope. And he answers to the king, like, I'm just a dead dog, man. I don't, I don't even get this. And so the king, like a good king, makes sure that he doesn't just say this to Mephibosheth because others would have been like, yeah, you didn't really say that. He decrees it, like looks at other people around him like, hey, um, here's the deal. And he begins to tell people, hey, so you're going you're gonna to plant and raise this guy's crops for him. He's going to have his own land, his own house, his own bed, and you're going to help him help it, like, be real for him. You're, he's going to have his own place. He's now going to have some hope in his life, and others are going to help you have that hope. It's a cool story. In fact, here's how it lands. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Ate regularly at the king's table. If you don't know what that means... It's awesome. Because yes, it probably meant barbecue ribs regularly. I don't know. Actually, probably didn't in that culture at all. <laughs> but if you sat at the king's table, that meant when you were done, there was probably still a lot more food. If you, if you sat at the king's table, someone probably brought you your food. And then later said, everything okay? You good? You want a refill? You don't even have to tip. At the king's table, most of the people that sat at the king's table, it was a mixture of people. Some, some were family members uh, awaiting roles or were in high-level leadership, leadership of, of, of the kingdom, and they, were, and they were making big decisions. Mephibosheth was sitting at the table not making any big decisions. He, didn't, he wasn't accountable for how well they had stored up grain for future moments where where. There was a famine. He wasn't responsible. He just sat at the table. Other people that would have sat at the table probably were high-level warriors or generals. People that would have, like, defended the kingdom, like, put their, put their lives on the line. Well, Mephibosheth, he's not going to go to war. You see how big of a deal it is for a king to say, you can sit at my table, and I'm not going to take anything from you. I'm just going to give to you. This story, this is why I tell you, if you've ever had a, a moment where you're like, I, I don't feel hope, I, are there any good feel-good stories? You don't have to just go to Disney or Hallmark. You can go to the Bible. And there's a, there's a principle in this story, if you didn't get it, hope, hope should be a, received and shared. That there's, that there's this, this, take it in, take hope, you want hope, you should have hope, hope's good. And, and you, you, most of us were like, yeah, I've had moments where people have delivered hope. If you're a Christian, come on, if, if you are a Christian, you have accepted hope, at least at some moment where you said, hey, um, I have not lived perfectly, but Jesus saved me, I have hope. If you ever screw up, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but we all would. You have hope. But herein lies the problem. There are far more Christians marinating in their hope and not sharing it. There are many Christians who have claimed and welcomed hope into their lives and said, I got it. But we don't share it. And there are many of us, and I don't mean to be offensive, but like I told you, 
I'm going to get into your life. There are many, in fact, counterfeit Christians. And they are very dangerous. Again, uh, don't worry. I'm not going to call anybody out on this. Uh, but I do want you thinking about this. My guess is you, uh, you know a counterfeit Christian. Someone who says maybe you, they, were, they were born into it. Which, that can't even happen. Some would say, uh, I'm a Christian at least when I'm at church. Um, and, and then they go off and, most of us, right, I mean, come on, most of us know a counterfeit Christian. If I needed to use harsher language, uh, if there is, uh, like hypocrites, right, or people who say, this is what I believe, this is what I believe, this is right, this is true, this is, yeah, and then they do not demonstrate that, which then others watch that and say, if that is following Jesus, I want nothing. Leave me out of it. That's why a lot of folks, at least a lot of my friends who don't go to church, don't go to church. Because they tell me, I don't want anything like that because it sounds just like it's not even true. I think most of us would say, but it is, it is true. We just haven't showed it well, right? We just haven't lived it out well. And none of us are perfect, but, but many of us have to, have to get into like, well, well what do we do? <laughs> Hence the reason of the whole series. It's not about just joining a better church or being a different kind of church. It's as an individual saying, what role do I play? Hence, a better me makes a better we. Uh, If you and I had coffee, I would imagine you would have um, opinions about church, probably even our church. You might say, hey, hey, I know how to make this better, or, or maybe you just love all of it, or, or maybe it's, it's, it's bigger than that, like the, the global church, and you're like, here's what the church should be doing or, or shouldn't, and, and I'm telling you, myself included, I, we have opinions about the big church, right? Well, what, if, what if you and I took a different tactic and said, you know what, there are, there are counterfeit Christians everywhere, what if, we just made sure, what if we just did a check here and made sure that we aren't, that, 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 you, that we aren't the counterfeit Christians? That's this whole series, and that's why some of us are like, this is going to mess with me. And yes, it should. Here's, here's the whole series. Uh, if, you, if you don't want to be a counterfeit Christian, like legit, something legit, you need to experience God. If you're like, how do I do that? Uh, go watch the first sermon. Uh, talked through the whole thing. Um, we need to share hope. We're going to talk about that today. And you need to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because did you know that we all have opinions about what it looks like to follow Jesus? Well, well, we know from Jesus himself what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't have to be like wishy-washy. And then rescuing others. That God actually gives you and I um, Resources and opportunities to help others. So this week, share hope. So much share hope. Again, you have hope. That's why I, I want you to hear the story of, of Mephibosheth, the, the guy who went, went from like obscurity, probably had the story that he didn't rem- remember a whole lot of. He was five years old, like, hey, I used to be in the palace. Where then he goes into utter darkness of a life and then is pulled out and has hope. Huh? Share hope. I, I think one of the main problems in this world is that Christians have stopped sharing hope. So I'll ask you a question, Fountain Springs Way, right? How regularly 
do you share hope? Don't answer out loud. Just what you're thinking. This is the process. Like, okay, how often do I share hope? Like, how often do I, with another person who, who either feels or, or, or is legitimately, like, hopeless, how often, how regularly do you bring hope to people? I'm not saying, like, how often do you put a smile on someone's face? I mean, that could be hope, or they just might be nice to you. I don't know. <laughs> Get into your own life. Do you wake up in the morning? Do you go to work or go to school going, I'm going to bring hope today? Most of us are like, was I supposed to? If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you don't want to be lukewarm, if, if you're a Christian and you don't want to be like the counterfeit, then you need to wake up and you're like, all right, it's not just my job to, to remember that I have hope, but I am going to share this hope like crazy. And that does not mean that you go on the corner and yell at people. <laughs> In fact, I want to show you ways. Uh, hope can be delivered through your story. Your story. I've regularly shared my story uh, most of us know my story, but you have your own story about, about what's actually played out in your life. And if you follow Jesus, that means you had a, had a moment or a season where you decided to follow Jesus. And you have a story of you and God encountering each other. And, and you need to share that. Let me, let, me, let me give you anchor points from the Bible. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And for those who want to yell it, <clears throat> we're just going to stay here because I think some of just we just need to. But do this in a gentle and respectful way, even on social media. Sorry, I added a little bit. I apologize. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. How you have hope. Why you have hope. Your story is the greatest place to start. You do not then need to open up the Bible and be like, we are now going to have a seven-hour Bible lesson. You start with your story. Like, well, I can tell you, uh, I can tell you how I encountered God and, and when, when I have hope and how I have hope, I can tell you that story. If, take it to Romans and you'll see it. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Have you ever considered the power of your story that, that it could encourage someone else's story? Years ago, you may not know this. Years ago, I mean, God came a knocking on my head like, I was like, would you please stop? Years ago, God said, David... If Fountain Springs Church is going to be like a church that's not faking it, I want the story of what I'm doing to go out, the story of what God is doing. So if you were around, there was a particular year where we just started telling people stories over and over and over. The power of a story can help someone else with their story. If you weren't around for that uh, era... (laughs) We still try to tell stories almost every week. Uh, you can go here. Stories.fs.church. 
stories.fs.church. And if you're like, David, I don't even feel like I got hope right now. Well, then you need to hear someone's story of how they have hope. And you can go there and you could spend probably hours hearing someone's story and another story and another story and another story and another story. And my guess is when you get done, you might have more hope than when you started. That's why it exists. So almost every week we try to tell the story of something God is doing because do you know that rooted even in the Bible, you may have grown up in church and you heard the word testimony. Because God himself has known the power if you and I would be brave enough to share our stories. And can we just say now, we are outside of the years that you weren't allowed to tell your story because of like what people might think? No. You likely work with someone or go to school with someone or live with someone or, or, someone, or a friend with someone who needs to have their story encounter God, right? Perhaps your story will be the spark. Don't be afraid to tell your story. It doesn't have to be tragedy, by the way. Some of you are like, you know, my story is not really all that, like, amazing. I mean, I haven't, I haven't like, murdered anybody. I uh, haven't. Your story isn't good because it has tragedy in it. Your story is good because it has God in it. And many of us have, dis- have put ourselves as the character of our stories? No, God is. And if your story is, well, I decided to follow him when I was five, and I've done nothing wrong since, it's been perfect. Well, that's a miracle. Tell your story if that's the case. The power of God alive in you that you've never messed up. Then let's talk later. because, Anyways. <laughs> Don't. Don't weigh your story on the tragedy that's, no. Deliver your story. Now, some of us haven't even gotten to there. So here's one more. Um, Hope can be delivered through an invitation. Your story is not the only way. It's not the only way. I mean, this doesn't mean that you're just walking on every sidewalk or wherever. Hey, story, I got a story, I got a story. I mean, that sometimes it's fitting. But sometimes it's an invitation you just need to offer. And if you wonder what I'm getting at, um, it's as simple as if someone, if you're just with a friend and, and they have a problem and you're, and you, have you ever been overwhelmed by their problem where you're like, you are sad and I do not know how to fix your sadness? You ever been there? I've been there. Or when someone shares with you what's going on in their life, you're like, I don't have a way to fix it. By the way, sometimes we should not try to fix it. And we should simply invite them into our lives. Going, I don't know how to fix what you're walking through. But do you want to go grab dinner? I'll listen. Sometimes it's, I'm hearing what you're saying and, and you need hope. I know a place where God often shows up and delivers hope called church. You want to come with me to church? But this is going to require Bravery. I think many Christians no longer invite people to church or into moments where you can talk about hope because we're afraid of what the response is going to be. We're, we're, we're losing some of our bravery. We're, we're, well, it's not a new problem. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. 
And I think some of us are there. If you want to know, why am I lukewarm? Your issue might be you're just ashamed to tell people. Don't be ashamed of me either. Even though I'm in prison for him, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. If you want to know why there's an absence of hope in this world, Christians are not realizing that we've got to get a bit more courage. Live in courage. Courage is not something that you will need once a year to give hope to people. There's risk. Sometimes telling your story and they might look at you and be like, we're never talking again. Sometimes you invite someone to church and be like, don't ever ask me, we're we're done. There's risk. But there's always been risk in delivering hope. Let me tell you a story. True story. Years and years ago in the late 1700s, early 1800s, there was something called the United States Life-Saving Service. This is real. Fueled by volunteers. If if you're familiar with, or maybe some of you are, volunteer firefighters. Well, this is the equivalent along the coast. And they would would build these these house-like things where they would store boats. And in that day, there, there weren't lighthouses all over the place. So what they would do is volunteers would man the stations and when ships would get shipwrecked, because it happened all the time, because there weren't lighthouses, and they would run into rocks or have major problems, and when the people would do that, that their swim from wherever they wrecked into shore, that's where they died. So uh, the United States Life Saving Service started that as soon as a volunteer was sitting there watching, watching, and they see the shipwreck, they would shoot a flare, and then they would go get the boat, get into the boat, And they would go out and save the people that had been on the ship. Now, (laughs) you need to know what they were thinking. Because some of you are like, what were they thinking? Because that meant that these folks who were volunteers, 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 were risking a ton to bring hope to people they didn't even know. There was no like, well, is it their fault that they wrecked? Nope, none of that. As soon as they saw the shipwreck, shoot the flare, go down to the boat, and go. And I need to show you some of the writing and the regulations. Here's one. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Yay! Why don't we have any volunteers? I don't know. If you're like, I don't understand. Okay, let me help. You have to get into the boat. You have to go out into the water. But if you die, you didn't sign up to live. You signed up that you could die. That's how that worked. That was like their mantra. That was like, hey, volunteers, hey, new recruits, you might lose everything. Cool. Inside the regulations, it even said this. The statement of the keeper that he did not try to use the boat because the sea or surf was too heavy. Because someone was like, well, what if it was like real bad? Will not be accepted unless attempts to launch it were actually made and failed. Volunteers. You're like, you can't say that to volunteers. 
apparently you can, and it worked. If you're familiar with the modern-day Coast Guard, many of the things that I've read to you have been put into their own regulation. The United States Life-Saving Service. It still exists. Still in operation. In fact, for those of you who like to Google during a sermon, there you go. Yep, you're about to find out that I'm telling you the truth. They're real. They're still in op- they still have a website. But they don't save lives anymore. In fact, uh, uh, here's their new mission. Dedicated to preserving our national life-saving treasures. Some of you, it's beginning to click. Most churches were started by Christians who thought that that particular area where that church was going to start was full of people who needed to know hope, needed to know who Jesus was. Most churches are started because there's a group of people, often a very small group of people, who believe with everything that the people in that community need hope, need Jesus. But every one of us have our stories, don't we, of churches that nothing could be further from the truth now. Most times, churches, unfortunately, are full of people trying to preserve tradition, preferences, or just what the way it used to be. Nowadays, uh, according to their website, the United States Life Saving Service gets together. There's an annual meeting. Uh, they get together, and they for sure eat together. <laughs> And then they travel and they go look at the different stations. They admire the stations. That's not the kind of church you want to be a part of. A group of people that just gets together and swaps stories. If you don't want to be a lukewarm, counterfeit Christian, then you say, you know what? I'm going to go out. I may not come back. But it's worth bringing hope. Your bravery is someone's access to hope. If you want to know why we as a church think stories are powerful, because someone can actually get hope from it if you'll share it. If you would be brave enough to invite someone to join you, meet you in church. I mean, I'm inspired by the guys at RCMU. Anytime I go to RCMU, I'm told, hey, I went and invited people, and trust me, David, they ain't never been to church before. Let me go back. If you don't want to be a counterfeit Christian, I need to get into your life. I need to challenge you. How regularly are you sharing hope, bringing hope, delivering hope? It will risk relationships. It will risk perhaps some of your popularity and acceptance. It will risk a lot of things. But have you ever considered the risk on the other side that that person who God was ready to deliver hope to, yet it didn't arrive because we were afraid? Don't be that. Don't be that. This is a good step for all of us. How regularly do you share hope? So, tell your story more. Invite more. And I think you'll see God do things. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father.
as always, thank you for meeting with us. You are so good. God, you, uh, you got into each one of our lives and you've, you've arrived into each one of our lives in a way that, that we needed you and you have shown up. Uh, God, none of our lives are absolutely perfect and pain-free. But God, we don't need that if we have you. God, thank you for being in our lives for the hope that that brings. God, on behalf of all the people in our region who are far from you, God, I pray for those folks that feel like uh, maybe dirty dogs or dead dogs that feel worthless. God, would you bring us or others into their lives? In fact, Lord, would you give each one of us a name whether we know the person or not, would you give each one of us a name this week of a person that we, we need to share a story with or invite? Would you give us a name, literally, so, so that we know, we know this person. And, and Lord, you're good at this. You, would you help us know a person or people? Just put them on our minds. And we will deliver hope, the hope that comes from you. God, we love you. Can't wait to see what you do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.